Hello, I'm Matthew Wolf, and you're listening to my podcast. This podcast is the best bit from my weekly radio show on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from three till four. What you're listening to is taken from live radio, but this is a podcast, which means it is obviously not live. So please do not try and get in contact with any of the live details you may hear me mention throughout the show, as your messages will not be received, but you may still be charged. All of our terms and conditions for getting involved can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. Also, as this is a podcast, some of the information we give about news stories may have been updated or changed since our broadcast went live. The information in this podcast is accurate and correct as of the time the radio show was originally broadcast, but might not now be accurate. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss the live radio show every Sunday from three till four, where you can get in touch live. Hello and welcome to the podcast. As always, we've got two really interesting topics coming up on today's show. For the first topic, we discussed how the EU are rolling out vaccines and their decision to stop the supply of the Oxford AstraZeneca jab earlier this week. I asked the listeners if they thought this was irresponsible and a political move or if they thought the EU are simply doing what's best for their citizens. Then later in the show, we heard my interview with Pam, who is a senior midwife who's been deployed to run vaccination centres during COVID-19 and the pandemic. Uh, I hope you found the interview insightful. If you haven't listened to it already, uh, stay tuned for the end of the show. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm Matthew Wolf, and for the next hour, and at this time every single Sunday, I'll be discussing your thoughts on the biggest current affairs and political stories of the week gone by. As always, we've got two topics we'll be going through today. Firstly, in the week in which 20 EU nations temporarily halted the deal of the AstraZeneca vaccine, I want to hear your thoughts on why they did that, as well as more generally your opinions on how Europe has handled vaccinated population and the impact their policies will have. Later in the show, you'll hear my interview with Pam, a senior midwife who's been running a vaccination centre in North London since December last year. She told me about her first-hand experiences mobilising the vaccination rollout, as well as the direction she received from the government. I want your thoughts on the experience. As always, contact us. You can tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at WizRadio. Text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply, on 07807. 183538. Email us station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details are on our website www.wizardradio.co.uk. Good afternoon. This week, a dozen European nations halted their use of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, citing a small number of rare blood blood clot cases in patients who'd received the vaccine. However, all health authorities later dismissed the risk, with the European Medical Association stating that its initial investigation of possible side effects 
has concluded that the vaccine is safe and effective. To put the risk into a bit more context, here are some statistics. So far, there is an average of three cases of blood clots per million doses of vaccination. In comparison, the oral contraceptive pill taken by millions of women regularly carries a risk of 5 to 12 cases of blood clots per 10,000 people. Here is a statement released from the, from the World Health Organization. They said, We are in regular contact with the European Medical Agency and regulators around the world for the latest information on the COVID-19 vaccine safety. The World Health Organization COVID-19 subcommittee of the Global Advisory Committee on Vaccine Safety is carefully assessing the latest available data for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Once that review is, is completed, the World Health Organization will immediately, com will immediately communicate the findings to the public. At this time, the World Health Organization considers that the benefits of the AstraZeneca vaccine outweigh the risk and recommend that the vaccinations continue. The statement from the World Health Organization matches that of the EMA in that they both accept that there is a risk that should be investigated, but that that risk is so exceptionally small that it should not jeopardise the rollout of a vaccine which, which protects against a deadly disease. Experts predict, however, that the decision made by the EU by EU nations this week will increase vaccine scepticism, which was already a greater issue in Europe than it is in the UK. According to a recent survey by the Odoxa polling group and Le Figaro newspaper in France, 58% of the French population are sceptical of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. If this issue is increasing doubts further about the impact, sorry, if this issue is increasing doubts further than they already are, the impact could be immense. It comes as France and Poland are set to go back into lockdown next week as cases of COVID-19 are surging again around Europe. I want to know from you why you feel this decision was made. Was it due to legitimate concerns about the safety of the vaccine? Or was it, as Belgium have said this week, an irresponsible and political move made by nations who are further behind in the vaccination process to try and undermine the progress made by those who are further along the road to herd immunity? I want your thoughts, so get in touch. You can tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at WizRadio. Text us, no, text us at no extra cost only standard network rate supply on 07807183538 email our station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details are on our website www.wizardradio.co.uk and for the second topic i want your thoughts on my on, on my interview with a nurse running a vaccination center for the last segment of the show you'll hear my interview she's running a vaccination center in north london and spoke to me about how she was mobilised from her normal job in training midwives, how she was deployed, and what it was like running a vaccination centre with quite short notice. It was a monumental effort from all the volunteers, and I hope you enjoy hearing her first-hand experiences. So that's going to be coming up later in the show. But for now, um, we're going to go to a song, and after that, I want your thoughts on the first question we'll be discussing today, the question of if the EU is blundering their COVID-19 vaccine program. So the song on now is A1 and J1, latest trends featuring H.
Welcome back to Wizard Radio. That was A1 and J1, latest trends featuring H. So the question that I asked you before the break was if the EU is blundering their coronavirus vaccine programme. This comes as 20 EU countries suspended the rollout of the AstraZeneca jab, citing concerns with blood clot cases. Uh, They've now um, reauthorised the vaccine for use and um, many have criticised the move as political due to the fact that um, the cases were were very small. Others would say that they were acting out of legitimate concern, this being a very new uh, new form of medicine. But um, that's what I'm putting out to you guys. What do you think? And we've got a message here straight away from Benny, who says, Matthew, I think it's very clear that the EU are desperate at the moment. Between their reaction to the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine this past week, through to their th- them threatening to ban Pfizer vaccines from entering the UK because they haven't received the supply they want, it's shown them off in the worst light possible. I know that every country and every bloc is just trying to protect their own, but I don't know any other case when a country or bloc have gone out of their way to actively stop vaccines that have been purchased by one nation from getting to the people who need it. The only word I can think of is that is just disgusting. Well, Benny, um, you're expressing a view that's held by a lot of people. The fact that um, what the EU uh, appeared to have been doing, and we discussed this at length, I think, on the show a, a few weeks ago when this was really, really prominent in the news, when they threatened to stop uh, vaccines arriving across the Northern Irish border. And um, they would claim that um, they were doing so just to because they, they were legally obliged by Pfizer, were legally obliged to them to provide them a certain number of vaccines. And they said that when those numbers uh, didn't arrive, they were entitled to um, entitled to um, disrupt the uh, supply from other countries in to, to ensure that they get the vaccines that they paid for. Others would say, however, and um, you're clearly one of them, Benny, that um, what they've done is inexcusable in any circumstance, that um, vaccines are there to protect people, to keep people safe and to get us out of the mess we're in. And that um, in preventing people from getting the vaccines they've ordered, it's not just irresponsible, but it's, it almost seems quite malicious in its intent that it's um, stopping the vaccines getting to the places they need to be. And... Um, having really severe impact on the people that actually need them. So, yeah, that's a view that lots of people have shared there, Benny. And um, I kind of get what you're, where, where you're coming from. If we're going to talk about uh, what, what you said at the start of your message, what I, I'd say is probably the general point running through it, the idea that they're, they're kind of desperate. You say that the EU are very desperate at the moment. Um, and I'd say that that's, that's an impression that they're giving off uh, for, for many people, the idea that um, due to the fact that they're a lot further behind in um, doses given out than um, the UK, than America. Um, a quick stat just before I go back to your message there, um, Benny, that um, when Joe Biden took office, he um, pledged that he would have distributed 100 million doses of the vaccine um, in his first 100 days in office. And they achieved that feat in 58 days um, or they're on track to achieve it in 58 days. So the US are zooming ahead with their vaccine rollout they have very little shortages if any and um the uk yesterday um announced that 50 percent of the adult population in this country have received the first dose and many more people are receiving the second dose now there are of course kinks in the supply and um whilst anyone that's due a second dose and got an appointment already scheduled will still receive their next dose um apparently there's going to be um a slowdown in new appointments um 
in your appointments just for the the next few weeks maybe a month and um if you want to hear more about that in depth, i actually spoke about this to um pam a senior midwife who's running a vaccination center that's going to be on later in the show i've already previewed that in the intro but um that specifically you can hear her specific experiences and what she's been told um so definitely stay tuned for that later in the show but back to your message there benny before i move on to another one i get your point completely that the eu may be perhaps desperate due to the fact that they're uh, further behind than other nations when it comes to the rollout of the vaccine. But it can't be dismissed that uh, even though the numbers were exceptionally small, uh, any uh, un- unseen side effects that didn't um, that weren't present in trials uh, are obviously concerning, which is why the World Health Organization are investigating it. But whether that's enough to um, stop the, the distribution of this vaccine altogether um is debatable and me for one i'm going to say my opinion now um i don't think it's enough and i think that it was an irresponsible decision they made but feel free anyone listening to get in touch and tell me why i'm wrong uh but yeah thanks for that thanks for that text there benny i've got another text here from lauren who says i do think that the eu has a harder job with their coronavirus vaccine program than we do in the uk the eu has a population of 446 million people over 27 countries compared to 66 million people in the UK. So it's higher stakes for the EU than it is for the UK in a lot of ways. And because the EU have been taking charge of the coronavirus response for the whole EU bloc, we can only imagine the issues they're tackling. So I don't think they've been blundering their coronavirus response because they also had it worse than we did in the UK. But I do think there is a more diplomatic way for them to resolve their issues. Well, Lauren, that's a really, really interesting text. And I want to pick up on um, one of your subtler points there. The, the fact that um, the EU, uh, they're, they're doing the best they can. and You don't think they're blundering it because they've got the situation. Their situation is worse than the situation we've got in the UK. And I saw a tweet. I, I, can't, for the, I can't for the life of me think who it was from, but a really interesting tweet about a month ago when... Um, when the vaccine rollout, when we were just realising how well the vaccine rollout had been going in this country. And it was a tweet from, I think it was a political commentator who said that um, the UK, uh, who at the time had the highest death rate in Europe, we still have one of the highest, but I don't think it's the worst anymore. But anyway, I'll get, I'm I'm off on a tangent now, but I'll, I'll get back on. Um, so yeah, this person tweeted that um, the UK are in a deeper hole than the rest of Europe, but they've got a longer ladder. And the ladder is obviously at the vaccines, and that's the way out of the mess. And obviously the hole is the the number of cases and deaths that we had. I think that tweet was at a time when cases were still high. Uh, they've obviously fallen a lot now, and as um, lockdown scheduled to end in uh, by next Monday. So, um, well, not fully end, but ease. Um, so yeah, uh, that tweet I really spoke to me and the fact that it described the situation that we're we're in a deeper situation to the rest of the EU, but we, the vaccine is our way out. And at the moment, we've got um, a longer way out. So I thought that really kind of framed the, the situation quite well. And it's kind of it's a point that you're you're kind of p- picking up on there, Lauren, when you say that you think the EU have it worse than the UK. And um, in some ways, that's true in terms of the vaccine that are available to them. But in other ways, uh, cases um, over the course of the pandemic have generally, whilst there's been peaks throughout the whole of Europe and um, each country's had um, individual responses and individual uh, levels of mortality, um, there's been that Europe in general 
has coped with the pandemic better than the UK. They've had a lower death rate. They've had um, they've had more effective lockdowns, and they've um, what they've done has worked better. So some would say that the EU were therefore in a better position to um, implement their response because people were already in a situation. People, nations were already in a situation where um, where they were closer closer to the top of the hole, for example. Um, going back to that analogy, there, there was they they had less far to go in terms of where the UK was with uh, cases very high and um, and etc. So, yeah, that that's what some people would say there, Lauren. Um, as to the fact that um, it's more complicated with more countries, I completely hear you there because when you're distributing vaccines for a single country, of course, um, that country's had one response throughout. But when you're um, coordinating for 27 different countries. Uh, each country's got a different proportion of an elderly population. Um, each country pays a different amount into the EU's health budget. Um, there's obviously going to be issues that come from it. And some would argue that um, giving it out on a country by country basis isn't fair. Um, sorry, letting countries run it themselves wouldn't be fair either due to the differences in wealth between nations, meaning that many are left behind. But um, some would argue that this is just too much of a complicated job for one body to tackle that many countries at once. So I've gone on for quite a long time about your text there, Lauren. I hope I've kind of answered it and um, discussed your points. But I'm going to move on now to another one here. And this one's from Sam, who says, I'm not a Brexiteer. I was in support of the UK remaining in the U in the EU because I do think we are stronger together than being an isolated country. But when a lot of the Leave campaign's points about the amount of red tape there is in the EU, um, and now that's, the, oh, sorry, I think there's, yeah, I'll get, yeah, sorry, I, th I think there's, yeah, sorry, I, I, I couldn't read that message for a second, but I've got it back now. Um, but when the Leave, campaign, Leave campaign's points about the amount of tape there is in the EU were proved correct, that's the reason why the EU's coronavirus response is failing. It does make you think, doesn't it? If you look at the news stories about the EU, the reasons their vaccines have been slow is because they waited until a later date before ordering their vaccines, so they were further behind in the queue than the UK was. That's because of the red tape. Whereas we didn't have that, we could take the risk, buy lots of vaccines, and it's turned out to be successful for us. It feels like Brexit may have come at a good time for us. Well, Sam, this is an issue that um, many, many of the right-wing press and Brexit-supporting press have latched onto. And um, I don't blame them one bit. I think that in this case, I've I've said repeatedly on this show that I was a strong supporter of the Remain campaign. And um, yeah, that I was a strong a supporter of the EU. And I thought that like you, um, like you, Sam, I thought that the UK was better off in the EU. But I do think that um, echoing your text almost entirely, um, the UK did well to be out of the EU during this process. Um, they did well to avoid the bureau bureaucracy that involved um, relying on other nations and uh, waiting around before ordering the vaccine. And the fact that we were we're not in the EU or we weren't in the EU at the time vaccines were being ordered um, means that um, we were able to order them qu more quickly. And um, it, it's worked out better for us than it has the EU. However, I do think that everything needs to be qualified and that... Um, I still think that the UK would have been better and will be better overall if we were in the EU. This is obviously an important issue, but I think in the grand scheme of things, the amount of um, trade and um, 
the amount of uh, the, the amount of trade and the amount of um, uh, frictionless um, the, the amount of the economic benefit and the social benefit and all the other things and the scientific sharing of knowledge and all the other things that come with the EU that are lost by um, the UK being out of it. I think um, overall, um, I think overall mean that um, the EU is de the UK. Sorry, is definitely better off uh, inside the EU, and I think that. Well, this is definitely um, an important, an important um, issue that the UK has perhaps come up on the right side of. I do think that it's um, it's not the best thing to do to make big judgments based on just this one thing. And I think that, of course, only time will tell whether the UK's decision to leave the EU was wise or not. But um, from what we've seen so far from economic forecasts and everything else, I do think that um, it would have been better for the UK to stay in the EU. But that's a completely a separate point and maybe I've spent too long discussing it because your main point there um your main your main point there Sam was that um when it comes to vaccines the UK have done well being outside the EU and that central point I completely agree with. So yeah. Um got another one here from April who says the issue with the EU's response to the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine I think was an indication of how much the EU is struggling to keep their head up from the UK it sounds like the EU are drowning, treading water and shouting while trying to stay up. When it comes to the blood clots with the AstraZeneca vaccine, there are actually less blood clots per 100,000 people who take the vaccine than there are among people who don't take the vaccine. A normal government would calm people down, say there's nothing and investigate it to be sure. Instead, the EU are panicking, so they pulled it, fueled people's fears and now nobody believes what the EU has to say about the vaccine. It's all stemming from panic. April, um, thanks for your text. And the idea of panic really intrigues me. Um, I do slightly disagree with you when it comes to the specifics because you're completely correct. Your, your fact's completely correct when it comes to um, the stat you said about um, less people per 100,000 taking the vaccine getting blood clots than people that don't take it. That's completely correct and really puts into context how ridiculously small and minimal the risk is. However, with any new medicine... Um, the side effects need to be investigated. I do think it was right for the health authorities to investigate this, and they still are. But to pull the plug on the vaccine, even for a week, I think was so irresponsible, not just because of the people that missed out on getting vaccinated, but because that vaccinated in, that, um, in those few days. But more importantly, the amount, the amount of people that will not get vaccinated at all now when offered it, because they'll be fearful of, what, of the effects of the vaccine because... In, in previous times, if, if people were not going to get the vaccine, you could argue and say, well, the health, health authorities say that it's for safe and it is safe. But the fact that the health authorities in those countries uh, suspended it for a certain amount of days, that those vaccine deniers can then say, well, they don't think it's safe. And um, whether that was made for a political point or not, I think it was so, so irresponsible because of the amount of people that will not be vaccinated because of this um because of this decision. Going back to the stat though about uh, less people, 100,000, I do think that um, it's worth noting that whilst the numbers were exceptionally, exceptionally small, um, the people that did suffer blood clots, it was straight after the vaccine and they were quite severe um, blood clot cases. Um, some, some were cases of mini strokes. And I think that with any new medicine, those things need to be investigated and um, they can't be ignored. 
But to remove the vaccine from circulation because of it, I think is once again wholly irresponsible and um, should not have been done. So yeah, um, thanks for your text there, April. Um, we're going to go to a song now. Um, it's Conan Gray and Overdrive. <laughs> Welcome back to Wizards Radio, I'm Matthew Wall. A reminder of the two topics we're discussing on today's show. The first topic, and the question that we've had messages on for the first half an hour, um, is the question of if the EU is blundering their coronavirus vaccine programme. Later in the show, you'll be hearing my interview with a senior midwife, um, and now, uh, sorry, a senior midwife who now runs a vaccination centre about her experience of mobilising the vaccine programme. Um, I interviewed her and I want to hear your thoughts after the interview. But going back to the first topic, the question of if the EU are blundering their coronavirus vaccine programme. A bit of context, this comes as 20 EU countries temporarily uh, suspended the rollout of the AstraZeneca jab before um, reintroducing it, uh, citing a tiny, tiny number of blood clot cases. And I, I wanted to know if you think this is symptomatic of their poor handling of vaccination rollout. And um, I've got a text here from Jamie who says, when you have your vaccine rollout program running smoothly, you can then focus on vaccine scepticism and increasing uptake of the vaccine. But the EU don't have a smooth vaccine program. They're still trying to make sure that they actually have the vaccines they need. So they haven't been able to roll out a campaign to make sure that people trust the vaccine and actually take it. The UK government have been doing community specific campaigns I saw one targeting targeted at Asian communities in the UK, using Asian celebrities to encourage them to take the vaccine. The EU can't focus on those issues yet. So scepticism is spreading, which is going to cause longer term issues, even once they've secured the jabs. I wouldn't want to work for the EU right now. Jamie, that's a really, really, really interesting take and a, new, a unique, a unique one as well. Um, the idea that um, in order for... Um, a, a, a program to be rolled out to try and convince people it's safe. First, you actually have to have the vaccine because that's going to be the priority. And um, I do think, to be fair to the UK, that even before we had lots and lots of doses of the vaccine, there were coming out saying, if you're offered the vaccine, take it. When we have the vaccine, take it. It's going to be completely safe. And I've said this multiple times on the show, but whilst um, in general, that our country's handling of the, pan handling of the pandemic hasn't been the best, um, I do think that um, a number of um, I, I do think that the way they've um, handled vaccination has been brilliant. And um, one of the things I think we've done so well in this country are those specific um, those specific ads targeting people who are less likely to take the vaccine. Uh, it's filled with facts, filled with clear information. And like you said, um, the government have analysed the groups which are least likely to take the vaccine and. They're targeting them, which I think is a really um, important thing to do. There are still huge discrepancies um, in the take up between different different communities with um, black and Asian minority ethnic groups still far less likely to um, take the vaccine. Uh, white groups and also uh, people from lower income households, um, poorer people in general, are much more likely to um, refuse to take the vaccine. And whether that's because of a lack of trust in the government due to the fact that they're in the situation they're in because of how the government have failed them or another reason, it's it, it's a severe issue and um, it needs to be tackled. 
And um, it seems at least that this government is trying to do so. Um, they made a lot of mistakes, but I think that that advert you saw is part of something that they're doing very well and perhaps that the EU can, can take on board to um, do themselves. So, yeah, uh, thanks for that, Jamie. It's a really unique point of view and um, something that we hadn't discussed so far. So thanks for getting in touch there. Um, I've got another text here from Luke who says, if listeners are going to attack the EU for blundering the vaccine rollout, I think it's only fair to show the other side of the perspective. You're right. The UK is doing a better job at vaccinating their population than the EU. But their strength was in protecting people when the virus itself was rampant, which the UK government blundered big time. I don't know where the issue is. Maybe it was the individual country governments that handled the lockdown and it's been the EU that have handled the vaccine. Or if the situation is different, but potentially if we'd been part of the EU in the, in the initial stages of the virus, we wouldn't have had as many deaths. Who knows? Well, Luke, you raise a, a really interesting point that I think I said uh, before the break as well, that while the UK deserve a lot of credit for how we've handled vaccination, we can't forget that we absolutely completely blundered our initial response to the pandemic. And it was far worse than nearly every other European nation. We locked down far too late. Um, the, the measures weren't clear enough. And um, lots of things that the government did uh, caused far more deaths than um could have been if their actions were clearer and um, and they acted quicker and they acted um, when they should have oh, and when, and they acted in line with SAGE, the scientific advisory group. So, yes, the government have handled this superbly, the vaccination programme, but it shouldn't be, we shouldn't get on our high horse and say we've done brilliantly because the vaccination programme is only, when this is all said and done uh, and there's a review into how different nations have handled the coronavirus pandemic, the vaccination will be uh, the vaccination process will be um, a large section at the end of that report, but it won't be the whole report itself. There'll be an investigation to how every country's handled it, and I think the UK will come up very poorly on the first few sections um, of that report. Um, as for how the EU have handled it with specific countries, the EU does not decide whether a country goes into lockdown or not. EU countries made their own based on their own healthcare advisors and based on the specific uh, situation in their country. So I don't think the EU should get credit for the responses, for the response of certain European countries that have handled the pandemic very well. Specifically, I'm talking about Germany, which have handled it very well. Yes, they've had spikes since, but in general, for a country their size and um, as densely populated, they've handled it um, a lot better than we have in the UK. And the EU who uh, should not take credit for that, the, the German authorities and the German government. So, yeah, um, I think we've covered a wide range of um, of opinions. Um, I hope we have anyway. Um, thanks for getting in touch on this topic. Stay tuned because um, after the next song, you'll be hearing my interview. Oh, no, sorry. We've got one more message. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we've got one more message um, on this topic, and it's from Ellie, who says, I think you said this in a previous show, Matthew. But the EU struggle has always been with speed. It generally acts too slowly in everything that they do. The UK has delay, had delays in getting our vaccines as well at the beginning. We didn't suddenly have loads of vaccines. And last year, there were news stories about delays in the rollout. But because we were faster and acted quicker, we were able to overcome those issues. And now we have a smooth rollout. The EU is in the same position as we were in then. And then they need to work through those issues. What you shouldn't do, which is what the EU has done, is start pulling vaccines without research and preventing other countries from getting their vaccines. 
Well, Ellie, I think you've you've kind of summed up the situation very well. Um, the idea that um, more than anything, it's about speed. Some would say the UK gambled on ordering so many doses so early, but it's definitely a gamble that's paid off. Um, we've got more we've got more uh, doses of the vaccine, and um, like we said uh, over the course of the sale, we're ahead in the vaccination rollout. Um, as for um, the EU, you're completely right, and they're experiencing the um, the same issues that we did experience. Perhaps I think they're experiencing those issues more severely uh, due to the fact that they they need more vaccines. There's more people in the EU than there are in the UK. Um, but I do think that um, the issues are definitely similar, if if bigger, uh, for, um, that the EU are facing um, in comparison to the issues that the UK faced. But the difference is the response. And I do agree with you that the EU have handled their response fairly poorly. They have not, um, they've not necessarily um, been the, um, they've not necessarily been clear enough. And um, in, in pulling the vaccine, whilst it wasn't a decision whilst it was it wasn't a decision made by every eu country that decision could have um long-term ramifications like we said about um long-term ramifications on the take-up of the vaccine and it, it's not something that um is positive at all and um, we just have to hope that um enough true information is put out above the false information about vaccines and that um the skepticism uh, begins to be reversed so that um herd immunity can build up and um we can get back to normal as soon as possible. So yeah, now I think we really are done on this topic. Uh, so thanks for getting in touch. Um, the show's not done though. We're getting a song on now. And then afterwards, you'll be hearing my interview with um, a senior midwife who's been uh, deployed during the pandemic to run a vaccination centre. I interviewed her um, during the week and she told me her first-hand experiences of what it's been like to run a vaccination centre. So stay tuned for that. But up now is our final song of the show. It's Tate McRae, Slow. Welcome back to Wizard Radio. That was Tate McRae, Slower. So on to our second topic of the hour. So earlier this week, I spoke to Pam, who is a senior midwife and uh, during the pandemic has been deployed to run a vaccination centre. Uh, she told me about her first-hand experiences doing that job. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the interview and I want to hear your thoughts on it um, after it's over. So um, without further ado, here it is. Pam, it's great that you're joining us um, on the show today. So briefly to begin, what did your job involve before the pandemic? So um, I'm part of the uh, midwifery education team. So I support trainee uh, student midwives in practice. So I'm based at the hospital, um, but my role is um, supervising students in training uh, to make sure that they've got the support they need, that they've got the um, some of the practical elements, that they've got the hours, they've got the mentors um as well as offering a bit of sort of um more emotional support through the tricky times um so it was very different to what i'm doing now so yeah you you just mentioned that it changed a lot and things are different now um how exactly um did your job change and was it a sudden thing that happened or yes it was pretty sudden we were um we weren't expecting to get the vaccine at the hospital till the new year um, and then they suddenly announced that we were going to get it before Christmas. Um, and that's a tricky time of year anyway. People are on leave, um, you know, so there aren't as many people around. Um, 
but we decided that we couldn't waste the opportunity. Um, so I came in a bit later because um, they'd already decided where the clinic was going to be held. Um, and they basically approached some of us, particularly those of us who were in education, because it does quieten down a bit over the holidays, um, if we could help as vaccinators. So, um, I mean, it really was a sort of, could you come and do this tomorrow kind of thing. Um, so we were all there madly trying to do the, the online tra training that we have to do, um, because as part of our professional registration, we have to do a certain amount of mandatory training and, and you know, we'll have a certain amount of knowledge. But for something like a vaccination programme, you have to have the specific knowledge about the vaccine, um, about the side effects, um, about how it's stored. So um, we were all there frantically trying to get this, this uh, training completed. Um, and then I think I went in, I think I got signed off on Christmas Eve um, and then went in and did my first shift on Boxing Day. Um, and then I worked pretty much all over Christmas and New Year. Um, I did have a few days off, but um, just because I was due to be on holiday anyway. Um, and then it's, it really just went on from there and, and the clinic got busier and busier. Um, but then the current clinic that I'm in um, is now our, so that was our hospital hub. Um, and now we've opened one of the, what they call the mass vaccination sites. So it's going to be vaccinating much larger numbers of people. Um, but that was likewise fairly quick notice because we opened on the 1st of February, which was a Monday. Um, and I think I got told on a Wednesday I was going to be moving there. So it was a real kind of right, just drop everything and, and go and do this instead. Um, but it just, it felt like too important a thing to, to not take the opportunity to go and get involved. Um, so it definitely sounds like something that happened very suddenly and very quickly. Um, so how much direction did you feel you were, you were given by, um, by the government and the people in charge of rolling out this, um, yeah, the vaccine? Um, quite a lot because we, um, in healthcare, you have to follow guidelines and procedures and standards and protocols. Um, and particularly with something as new as this, um, you can have sort of local variations on, on things but it tends to be um, that might be something that you would do after you've embedded something or it's been running for a while um, because you might just be looking at your local population and whether or not something needs to be adapted. Um, but for this, we um, follow the guidelines. So it, a lot of it comes from people like the Joint Committee on Vaccinations and Immunizations. Um, so we have to follow protocol about the storage of the vaccine, the administration of the vaccine, the, the documentation we keep, um, the training that people do in order to, to give it and also you know who we can give the vaccine to um, so for a large part we, we do follow um, the guidelines laid down by the government we also have a more local um, sort of regional group that's north central London which covers our more local area but even then we, we sort of meet the standards of that group um, and it just makes sure that we're doing things properly um, and that we're, you know, we're, we're meeting the standards required. So obviously it sounds like a huge, huge effort. So um, how many volunteers were needed? Um, and was it difficult to kind of get that many people helping out at short notice? Yeah, we need loads of volunteers. So um, at the moment, so the offsite is at the Dugdale um, Centre in, in Enfield Town, the one that um, we're running from our hospital. 
and um, it's quite a big site. So it's a, it's a theatre. We've converted it um, from a theatre into a vaccination centre and it's a big space. Um, so we needed lots of volunteers um, and the North Central, um, the North London Volunteers Group had been working away to get people on board, but um, we still needed more. So we have now got a good number of volunteers and they basically direct people through the vaccination service. So they make sure that when they come in that we check their temperature. Um, we make, they make sure that they know where to go, that they're not ever sort of wandering around um, you know, a bit lost. Um, we also say that there are eyes and ears on the ground. So if there's anything they're concerned about, if the queues are building up or um, if there's anything that they need to bring to our attention, they'll come and find us. Um, but they're, they're fantastic because, you know, we're all there running the service, but that's our job. Whereas these are people who are coming in in their spare time. Some of them are working, some of them aren't. Some of them come five days a week. Um, and it's just amazing that people will, you know, give that level of commitment to something. Um, so we are really, you know, we, we really couldn't do it without the volunteers and we're, we're hugely grateful to them for it. It sounds like an absolutely incredible effort from from everyone that's been involved really. And um, I just want to finish by asking that, um, asking your thoughts on the fact that it's reported uh, this week that there's been some issues in the supply of the um, AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. And um, it basically, have, have your centre been told about that and how worried are you that it will affect what you're doing there? Yes, they're, they're very good at updating us on these things. Um, and yes, you know, as it's been stated in the news, there is going to be a bit of an issue with the supply over the, about the next four weeks. Um, it does affect us because we have to look at um, how we can administer the vaccines and how many we can administer. But we also have to keep one eye on the future for when people are coming back for their second vaccine. So we don't find ourselves in a position that suddenly we don't have enough vaccines for people to have their second dose. So we, what we'll do over the next few weeks is we might just reduce uh, the number of appointments that we offer, or we might change the days that we're open, things like that. So we've got people kind of behind the scenes crunching the numbers and we'll try and, and maintain a, a consistent uh, level of appointments because obviously we want as many people as possible to get their first dose. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we can give people their second dose as well. So we will continue to run our service, but we might just reduce it a bit just for the weeks ahead. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Wizard Radio. That was my interview with Pam, who's running a vaccination centre in North London. So we've got a text in about the interview from Mikey, who texted in just a few moments ago. He says, this nurse sounds like a hero, Matthew. One of the many people who had to completely change their jobs, expose themselves to the potential risk of catching coronavirus in order to save the population. He reacted quickly, worked overtime. She did things that most people would feel inconvenienced by if their bosses asked them to do it. And she took it, took, sorry, and she took it on the chin because of the greater good. We need more people like her in our society. Maybe the world will be a better place. Well, Mikey, that's um, it's a great text. I'm sure um pam will be very happy to hear that and um i think that the nhs in general has been incredible during this entire year how quickly they've adapted and how people who um have been doing one job for many years have have completely changed it for the greater good and to help people and it was a similar story when we spoke to um 
when we spoke to um, a doctor on the show during the earlier stages of the pandemic who um, was a paediatrician but changed his role to um, work in intensive care units for COVID-19. And um, he described how quickly uh, their roles changed and um, how people from every every um, every part, every corner of medicine, uh, from dietitians to physiotherapists um, to to surgeons to everyone was um, deployed uh, to tackle coronavirus and how amazing that response was. And I think that um, that's something that um, has perhaps gone under the radar, not just the fact that people have worked um, very hard and that um, they've gone been doing overtime and been working ridiculously hard, but the fact that lots of them have been doing it in things that they haven't actually done before and have been quickly deployed to and they've just adapted and done a great job. So, um, yeah, thanks for that text there, Mikey. Um, it's a really, it's a really great thing to hear. So, um, yeah, thank you. Um, I've got another text here from Jack. He says the thing that, su- ha- that has surprised me the most from this interview is that she said the government have been communicating well with her practice, and she said that she is up to date and knows all of the information. When you usually hear all of the nightmares about nurses not knowing the most up to date information about the government and being slow to tell people information. That, pos- that positively surprised me. It does make me a bit nervous, though, to hear that they might be, n- need to slow down the appointments of people getting their first vaccine because of the supply issues. I hope that doesn't hold us back from reaching our targets. Um, I'm going to start at the end of your message there, Jack. And um, hopefully Matt Hancock, the health secretary, has promised that it will not us reaching our targets. Um, hopefully, and I think we were ahead of our targets before this slight delay and it does mean that anyone who uh, is due a second appointment will still get it so that um as pam said in the interview there are people behind the scenes crunching the numbers so that um no one has to wait uh, too long between the first and second doses so that um uh, the second becomes ineffectual so uh, people are working behind the scenes to make sure that isn't the case and um as to your main point about the government being helpful and communicative uh, when I interviewed her, I was surprised by that answer as well. And um, the, the government deserve credit for that, whether it's um, uh, whether it's the government themselves or it's um, senior people at the NHS or whatever. Uh, the way they've communicated seems to be very clear and very um, efficient. And um, whilst we have criticised the government extensively on this show for what I believe to be terrible handling of the pandemic, um, this does seem to be uh, brilliant and great. Uh, be good work by them to keep people informed up to date and give clear messaging so the people working hard uh, know what to do um i'm going to move on quickly now from your message there jack to the last message of the show here from rosie who says wait until the government reminds us time after time again about how well they handed the vaccine rollout when it comes to the next general election i'm sure i'm sure boris johnson will be saying how he saved lives with his effective vaccine rollout and he'll guilt trip people into voting for him that might all change, though. To borrow a word from your logic, but if the government build, blunders the supply of the Pfizer vaccine and our rollout comes to a halt due to the EU, then a lot of people will be very angry and the goodwill will quickly go. Rosie, um, that's a really interesting point. We've spoken, I've spoken in the last few minutes about how the government need credit for their vaccine rollout programme. And... Um, I do think that it's something that Boris Johnson may latch onto in the next election. Whether he deserves to win ele- win votes because of that, um, despite the earlier handling of the pandemic or not, uh, is up to the voters and uh, remains to be seen. But I do think that um, by the time the election rolls around, hopefully COVID will be in the rearview mirror 
And um, there'll be other issues for the government and the opposition to be focusing on. That's, that's what we hope anyway. And with the rollout of this vaccine, if it continues to be um, smooth and effective, hopefully that's the position we'll be in. Um, so thanks for getting in touch, Rosie. Uh, thanks to everyone for getting in touch over the course of the hour. If you missed any of the show, it will be available for the next seven days on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk forward slash repeat. I'm under the Sunday section. Um, and if you want to hear not just this episode, uh, this show, but all other episodes of the show um, are available on all podcast platforms. Leave a review for us on Apple, uh, follow us on Spotify, etc. Um, thanks for listening. Up next is Madeline Molly, but first it's time for the news and the weather.